again, I want to welcome each of you here this morning. If you happen to be here as a guest for the very first time, either online or I expect if you're online, that's different. If you're here for the, as a guest in person, there is a little additional flap on the bulletin. Sure appreciate you if you'd fill that out and put it in the offering box that's on the entryway table, the welcome table as you come in to the church. That would be great. I, uh, I see Mark Bristow, so uh, hi, brother. Uh, is Mary back in the country too? Okay, that's good. Uh, we, uh, there you are, Mary. Good to see you guys. Uh, well, praise God for them coming back safely. We're looking forward to hearing about their trip and uh, their extended trip. Grateful for that. Thank you all for praying, or some of you, whoever did pray for our daughter, uh, Shara. She is safely back in the United States. I got back on Wednesday, so we're grateful for that. And she had some ear problems, but that was taken care of before she I got back, so we're grateful that she's back. Now we're getting ready for her wedding, so we're uh, going in right into the phase of things. A few announcements. If uh, Sunday school kids, I think uh, uh, you're, uh, you're dismissed, so if you're here for Sunday school, they already went. Okay, good. I have a couple of things to make you aware of. First of all, this afternoon we've got a special event. We're having a baptism at Raccoon River Park, okay? So right now we have one for sure, possibly three. So we're, uh, it's good. Uh, we're, uh, we, uh, Norb's meeting with uh, someone right now, and I'm going to meet with somebody right after the service. So uh, we're grateful for that, and just uh, encourage you to come out. Uh, there's going to be some light refreshments provided, but if you want to make a family deal of it or make more of it than, you, than that, then bring your own lunch, bring your own picnic stuff. Uh, probably wouldn't hurt if you brought an umbrella or something. It's going to be about 88 degrees, I think, about that time, and the sun's going to be shining. So sunscreen, hats, uh, I'll have to have a hat on, so that'll be good. And we're looking forward to that. Also, you received an email, if you're part of a regular church family email, about the, the youth pastor response forms that were sent out. We appreciate that. The elder team is very grateful for the, the very good response that we received. Uh, we're planning to proceed ahead with that. You have most of the information you need, so if you have any questions about that, please don't hesitate to contact one of the elder team, but we're going to move forward and uh, seek to find someone to fill that position, so we're kind of excited about that. You can be praying about that if you would. We have a couple of prayer times that are coming up. First of all, right after the service, is going to be a prayer time for the Haiti team, the team from our church that's headed to Haiti a little bit later this fall. So they'll be meeting in the fellowship hall for prayer. And then a week from Wednesday, uh, we have a prayer time as a church, church family. So it's in the bulletin. That's a church family prayer time. Want to remind you or encourage you to show up on Saturday, this coming Saturday, for a work day. We've got some landscaping stuff that needs to be done. We've got some work that we're going to do in the garage. Uh, those are the things that we have on the list. So if you can, we need some... Uh, some good muscle, and so we'd encourage you to show up for whatever time you could uh, next Saturday morning. Appreciate that. I'm going to uh, pray as we get ready and as we prepare our hearts to spend some time in God's Word. Father, what a beautiful day you've given to us, a beautiful day to come in uh, to, to praise you for the God that you are. Uh, you're a way maker. You are a miracle worker. Uh, you're faithful and you're true. I just pray that your spirit would be working in each of our hearts. I know that I ask that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law, that you would make it personal and applicable and real for each of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, in, a, in, a, in the past few months, uh, my wife and I have been uh, uh, made aware of just some really hard things. Uh, there was uh, uh, a young couple that we knew, actually a, a friend of my son's and graduated with him from high school, whose seven-year-old son passed away, or seven-day-old son, I mean, seven-day-old son passed away. Uh, just recently, we were made aware of a, a, a family where there was an accident and a young child uh, lost, lost their life. Uh, someone in our, not related to us, but through relationship, family relationship, a young mother uh, just passed away of cancer, uh, just shy of her, her single mother, just shy of her daughter's uh, five-year birthday. Um, and I share these things because these are the part and parcel of the, the, the crazy and the hard world that, that we live in. Heart-wrenching calamities that, that rocked uh, the lives of, of families. And while our, our painful uncertainties may not be quite that tragic, uh, some of them are, I know, some of them are. Uh, but some of our tragedies might not be that, that uh, terrible. They're still hard. Uh, death, um, disease, uh, being deprived of relationships, uh, dissolving of relationships, um, disappointment. In all of that, where's God? How can we be grounded and how can we grow in, in our faith? in those kind of situations? Well, some, I think, but not all of, of the answers to that can be found in the story of a woman in the Old Testament. Her name is Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Some, but not all, of the answers uh, to how to be grounded and how to grow in the midst of uncertainty are certainly found in her life as she faced her own hardships with courageous faith and grace. And so I invite you to take your Bibles to turn there in the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. We're going to go through chapter 2, verse 10, but don't worry, we're not going to in depth in chapter 2. Most of this is going to be in chapter 1. But in these, in these verses, I think we see that Hannah's perspective and Hannah's practice in these verses reveal three marks of courageous faith uh, that I think encourage us to remain faithful and inspire us to stay true to our steadfast God and to our sovereign God. So I'm going to read chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, so I hope you can follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, if you have your phone, if you have an app on your phone, that's fine. If not, under the seat in front of you somewhere, there should be a Bible. You can find it maybe, First Samuel. Okay, beginning with verse 1. Now, there was a certain man from Ramath Aim Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man would go up from the city his city yearly to worship to, and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. And when the day 
came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. And to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly and irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And it happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat of the doorpost of the temple of the Lord and she greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall not come on his head. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard, so that Eli thought, that she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as worthless as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to the house, their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived and that, that she gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with a three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour and a jug of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli, and she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I ask of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he, and he worshiped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our, our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed." I know that's a long passage, and I didn't even read the rest of it through verse 10, but we're going to get there. But in this text, I see in, in Hannah's life and her experience 
the, the three marks of, of faithfulness, of steadfastness, of courageous faith in the face of some pretty tough times that I hope should in, uh, encourage us and hearten us as believers, whether or not we're in them now or we will be in them. But they're coming. Some of you have had them, and some of you are still in them, and some of us are going to experience them. And so the first mark of, of courageous faith that I think encourages us is, is that we walk faithfully in, in light of God's providence. Now, Elkanah was a priest of the priestly line, the, the, the husband of Hannah and, and Penina, and he, he had two wives. Uh, this is not sanctioned in the scriptures, okay, but for some reason God, God permitted it, but we always see it problematic. <laughs> it was problematic here. Uh, it's not God's design, but that's what happened, and so there's, there's a problem here. And there are two manifestations of faithfulness that, that Hannah reveals in, in her worship, and she, she, she worshiped regularly, that, therefore we should worship regularly in verses uh, 1 through, through 7, with uh, particularly verse 3 and 7, we see, first of all, that she worshipped with her presence. She was there, verse 3. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh, which is the place where the temple was, that's where they worshipped. Okay, And this is probably not one of the three mandatory feasts and worship experiences that they were called to go up to worship at. Okay, they were, all men were supposed to go up for the Passover, for the first fruits, and for the ingathering, but this is probably something other than that. I have you look, we have a slide, I think, of Judges chapter 21. Uh, no, we don't, okay. So, well, don't have to go back very far. You're in Samuel, right? So just go turn back to Judges. Okay. Past Ruth to Judges chapter 21. And we're in verse 19. Judges 21 verse 19 says this. So they said, Behold, there is a feast of the Lord from year to year in Shiloh, which is on the north side of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes from Bethel to Shechem, and on the south side of Labona. So they went up every year to a special feast to worship the Lord. And the text tells us that Hannah was there. You look at verse 9, it happened year after year as often as she went up to the house of the Lord. So she came. She was worshiping in the presence of the Lord. She made the pilgrimage and she was there. And she was eating and drinking and in verse 9, her, her double portion. Okay, So she was present to worship. She was prayerful when she worshiped. In chapter 1, verse 10 through verse 13 is her first prayer. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is her second prayer. She was praying to the Lord and she reveals her heart. In verse 12, you see, Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. Okay, We see something of her heart. She was there praying. And then she was praising God. Um, Chapter 1, verse 29, through all of chapter 2, verse 10, she's exalting the Lord. She's praising God for, for who He is. So I'm just saying she was present, she was prayerful, and she was praising God. She was worshiping. You say, okay. But here's the caution. Just because someone is present, just because someone is praying, just because someone is vocally praising God doesn't mean that they are faithful. Okay, 
in the ultimate, truest sense of the word. These religious activities can evidence faithfulness, but they don't equate to it. I think of the, uh, the picture that I saw in my high school, Sunday school class. Oh, Edith Olson had a picture, and on the picture there was a picture of a garage, and there was a picture of a church. And the caption said, going into a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes you a car. Okay? So our presence and our prayers and our praise don't make us faithful followers of, of Christ, but faithful followers of Christ are present, prayerful, and praise. Uh, so that's the distinction that I want to make uh, there. Those who worship regularly... If we do it in spirit and in truth, as Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 23, these are the people, the Father worshipers, He seeks. Okay? He seeks those worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. So we worship regularly, and then we worship regardless if we're faithful. What do I mean? Regardless. We worship regardless of what God allows. Notice it says in verse 3, 2, 2. And he had two wives, Hannah and Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had none. And then it says at the end of verse 5, But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. This is the providence of God. In the providence of God, she was barren and she was bereaved. To be without children in that day and age, well, any, it, it's a source of, of sorrow. It was a source of reproach for a woman in that day. It was a cause for people to suspect that she was somehow living in sin that she was unable to bear. And it was also uh, just a, a scourge of a, sor a sorrowful because that's her heart's desire was to have children. And so she was there, and it was a source of reproach. And if you think about this, this is not an uncommon scene in the Bible. Sarah was barren until she had Isaac. Rebecca was barren until she had Jacob. Rachel was barren until she had Joseph. Hannah was barren until she had Samuel. Manoah was barren until she had Samson. Elizabeth was barren until she had John. In the providence of God, he often used barrenness as a precursor to raising up some of the most stellar ministers and people of faith in the Bible. Now, what does that mean? It means I think sometimes God brings us to a place of brokenness and barrenness in order to unleash His power and His work for His glory. So He is willing to use it. But in her pain, Hannah didn't leave God. But she leaned into God. And she, she said she would trust God. She leaned, and leaned into the sovereign Lord with her faithful worship. In the providence of God, we feel pain sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. And some know what it's like to be like Hannah 
unable to conceive. Others able to conceive, but then there's a miscarriage. Others bear children, and then those children go astray. Uh, We understand what it's like to be mourning a loss of someone close to us. We don't have exactly the same experience as, as Hannah, but we understand what it's like to be disheartened by a diagnosis or disappointed or the decline of aging. We get it, you know. I mean, at some point, there's some sort of, uh, of part. And the question is, will we remain fickle or will we remain faithful or will we be fickle? When God doesn't, you know, kind of work things out like we plan. When it's not just like what I want. You see, our hardships can either drive us away from God or they can draw us to God. And that's the challenge of staying faithful and have courageous faith in the midst of, of uncertain times. And, you know, I've, I think I've quoted this before, but that, that, that one song, the lyrics of the song, when we, when we can't see His hand and we don't understand, will we trust His heart? Will we trust God's heart? And I ask you this morning, you know, and you don't answer me to me, but maybe right now you're feeling like Hannah, you know. Maybe you're feeling the, the hurt, the disappointment, the discouragement, the frustration, the ache in your soul, the bitterness of soul. She, she wasn't just sad. She was bitter in her soul, which means extremely heart-wrenching ache in her heart. We worship Regardless, regardless of what God allows, and we worship regardless of what others say. Uh, verse 6 has got to be one of the, one of the biggest fails, um, uh, you know, uh, here. Verse 6, her rival, notice this is the problem with polygamy, <laughs> among other things. The rival said uh, to her, would provoke her bitterly and irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. She used the very thing that Hannah was most grieved about and she rubbed it in. She took the scab and she peeled, off, peeled it off and poured salt in the wound. And this is the sadness. This is the heart. She, she provoked her bitterly with hurtful and demeaning words. She attacked Hannah at the heart of who she was as a God-fearing woman. Oh, God hasn't blessed you, so you must not be very godly. And you really can't be a valid, significant, important woman because, look, you have no children. And the text tells us in verse 7 that this happened year after year after year after year. She would provoke her which broke Hannah's heart and led her to a place that she was distraught enough that she wept and she wouldn't eat. Guys don't understand that. Because it doesn't matter, we're going to eat. But women are not built that way, generally. There are a lot of reasons why, you know, a woman will not eat, but A lot of it has to do with how she feels emotionally, affects her. I remember, I'm going to say, I'm trying to think of uh, Betty. I'll just use that name, okay? That wasn't her name, but there was a gal in her high school. And uh, Betty was 
nicknamed Moose. She was tall, and it was cruel, and it was mean, and it was spiteful, and she hated that title. But yet, that was the name that people referred to her. And uh, it was very painful. And, uh, you know, especially for a, a gal. I mean, I know, I have, a, I have a sister that's tall. And, you know, that's a, that's a bad thing. The worst thing you can call a, a woman is make, make her bigger than she is. The worst thing you can do for a guy is make him smaller than he is. You know, because the, it just is like, okay, shorty. Uh, okay, moose. It's like, that's not good. And I remember how uh, uh, a few years after we graduated, I, I called her on the phone. And I just said, you know, I just want to apologize for any part that I played in your humiliation. Um, and I would like to ask you to forgive me. Because it struck to the core. See, you know what words and uh, sticks and stones will break my wounds, but words may never harm me is the biggest lie on the planet one of the biggest lies on the planet. Because words are, are, are the tool of the devil uh, to, to, to strike hardship in the heart of people. So I say when, 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 when provocation and defamation and degradation and unfortunate situations cause us pain, will we turn to God? Will we stay true to God? Or will we turn somewhere else? That's the question. She had a second source of pain from somebody who said something. And look at verse 8. This is a big fail for the guys. Okay. You know, Elkanah, you know, oh, honey, don't worry. Aren't, aren't I better than, than ten sons to you? Pretty insensitive. Pretty arrogant. Pretty out of touch with, uh, with what his wife is feeling. It's like, uh, big no. Big no. No, I mean, you have your benefits, but uh, you're not better to me than ten sons. So, uh, but how painful to her. How painful to her. So how did she keep going? It, it really only accentuated her agony. It just reminds her that she doesn't have sons. And you notice that Panina had, had sons and daughters, many sons and daughters. So there was this in your face every time. So how did she do it? I don't know for sure, but it seems to me that God gives us some, some encouragement in the midst of our calamity when it strikes, when, when we're overwhelmed with sorrow. When our family and our friends, or our friends, they disappoint us. When there's mental or physical ability that deteriorates, or there's abuse, or there's injustice occurs or some calamity strikes us how do we do it I don't know for sure but it seems to me that first of all we need to be reminded of what Hannah was reminded of that God is not indifferent to or ignorant of what's happening in our life but he is actually involved in our life it may not seem like it but he's there with every aspect of our life he is providentially aware and providentially in control of what's happening in our lives. And our helplessness and our hopelessness may very well be the thing that God wants to use to bring Himself glory because God uses our weakness for His glory. It's in our weakness that 
he is made glorious. He works graciously on our behalf for his glory. I, I, I think of my friend Dave. Absolutely petrified to get up in, in front of people and speak. And he's one of the most gifted Bible teachers I know. And God uses his weakness. And in his weakness, God gets glory. Because Dave just does it. I mean, physically used to get sick before he would get up to to speak. He was so distraught and so nervous. And you would just, I mean, he's, he's humorous, he's insightful, he's biblically based and it's, it's for God's glory. And secondly, not just do we, do we remind ourselves that God's not ignorant, but He's involved. But secondly, nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Luke chapter 1, verse 37. Remember Elizabeth and, 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 and John said, God says, well, nothing is impossible with God. Same thing back in Genesis chapter 17 and 18. When Sarah, you know, oh, yeah, right, I'm going to have a kid. Nice one, God. You know, and, and both Abraham and Sarah laughed at God. Nothing is impossible with God. God may not work as we wish, but He always works as He wills. And we need to be accepting of His will. We walk faithfully in light of His providence. Secondly, we pray fervently in light of our God's presence. Three considerations, I think, in the text, at least for me. First of all, the conviction, and I'm kind of taking this, the conviction of our prayer, okay? There's two evidences of conviction in in Hannah's prayer, and the first one is the passion with which she prays. If you look at uh, verse 10, it says, And she greatly distressed, and later it says she was bitter of soul, okay? She was internally distraught, and she wept bitterly. This was, she's feeling it. In verse 13, it says, And for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were not moving, but her voice was not heard. So, thought she, thought she was drunk, you know. Now, I'm not saying that every prayer of ours has to be as passionate as, as Hannah's prayer. But there are times when we are viscerally moved in our hearts. can't imagine. Uh, I know a, a 32-year-old young man who was driving the vehicle that, uh, that killed his daughter just recently. That would make my soul bitter. Not, 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 not in the sense of bitter towards God, but aching. I would weep. I would be distraught. I don't know what it is. Maybe you've felt that. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you haven't. But there are things in our lives that bring us to that spot. And this is where Hannah was. And with passion, she prayed. And, and where do we go? Talk to some parents. And I, I'm not, nobody here. Okay. Talk to some parents who are distraught over the, the waywardness of one of their children. Just 
you know, it's just not the way that child was raised, just not the way God uh, would do it. And they're good and godly people, not perfect people by any means. And when that happens, when there's bitterness because of our, our children are going off the rails, or we're lonely, or we're, we have uncaring and ungodly or an insensitive spouse, or we've lost a friend or a loved one, or the people closest to us that we trust betray us, and they turn against us, and they prove to be fickle instead of faithful. Where do you go? Well, some people go to alcohol. Some people go to social media. Some people go to the store. You know, I'm going to buy some stuff. Some people start cleaning. Uh, Hannah went to God. And I, there's, there's something in her honesty. Verse 11, and she made a vow Oh, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on my affliction, your maidservant, and not forget your maidservant, I'll give him to you. And she was continually praying. There's just something in her honesty that, you know, is refreshing. A refreshing reminder that we too can come boldly before the throne of grace. This is kind of the Hebrews 4 of the Old Testament, Hebrews 4, verses 15 and, and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And then, therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So we see, first of all, that there was passion in her prayer. This is evidence of her earnestness, evidence of her conviction. And then there was persistence in verse 12. It says, she continued to pray before the Lord. Hannah prayed repeatedly over and over and over again. And you say, you know, it's kind of interesting to me, a sidelight. You know, we sing songs and we repeat the words. And I heard someone say, I, I'm just sick and tired of all those songs where you're just repeating the words. It's just, I'd get it the first time. I guess they've never read the Psalms. Because, I mean, Psalm 106, 107, it's like, okay, thanks to the Lord for He is good, His loving kindness endures forever. And that's in every verse. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus taught us to pray, saying, and He said that you might Persist in prayer that you might continue to do it. Remember, it's the story of the, the woman who went to the judge and wanted him to do something. He just kept pestering her, pestering her, pestering her. Well, God wants us to pester him, in a sense. He wants us to keep coming. It's okay to keep coming. My grandson's going to be three next Saturday, uh, next Sunday. And I... I I, I, well, I can. I throw him in the air. No, you may think that's it's, it's fun. And he likes it. And we have fun. And I throw him in the air. And I catch him. And I throw him in the air. And I catch him. And I'm like, whoo, dude, you're getting heavy. I throw him in the air. And I catch him. And he goes every time. Again. 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 We have a loving Heavenly Father. And we can go again. And again. And he doesn't get tired. Again and again. And then there's not just the conviction of our prayer, but there's the content of our prayer. 
There's three parts to Hannah's prayer that, that I find instructive. First of all, there's praise. Notice in verse 11, she says, and she starts, and this is how she begins her prayer. O Lord of hosts. I love the Hebrew. Yahweh Tsebaot. He is the absolute ruler and supreme being over all the realm in the universe. This is God she's talking to. And she says, he, she acknowledges that he's the absolute ruler over all the forces of heaven. Hosts is the, for, the forces of heaven and earth. And that he has the authority and the power to do what she's going to ask. And I wonder sometimes when we come to God, do we really believe he's able to do what we ask? Do we really believe that he is in control? And you notice that she was passionate and she was personal, but she wasn't petulant. She wasn't some little brat you know, demanding that God do what she asked. And she wasn't irreverent either. And I throw these verses in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 and 2, to kind of temper this idea that we can come boldly. We can come boldly to the throne of grace, but we better not come arrogantly. Do not be quick with your mouth or impulsive in thought or to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. It's a balance. And then there was her petition in the middle of, in verse 11, the end of the, ver, the middle of the verse, in the midst of her bitterness of a soul, she manifests two attributes in her prayer. First of all, she, she, she's dependent. She's not demanding to God. Notice in verse 11 that she starts her prayer and she says, if you will. If you will look on my affliction the affliction of your maidservant, and remember me. If you will, Lord, I'm hurting. If you will, Lord, my kids are going crazy. If you will, Lord, my marriage is falling apart. If you will, Lord, I'm still grieving this loss. I'd like to have some peace. I'd like to have some comfort. If you will, Lord, the aches in my body are overcoming me. If you will, Lord. Not. She didn't come to God and, 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 then, and then she was humble. Notice in verse 11, she says, your servant. Twice. She uses it when she's talking to uh, the high priest too, but she says it to God. Your servant. You see, we are God's servant. He is not ours. When I pray to God, He is the master. And oftentimes, I think we come to God in prayer saying, God, change my wife or my husband. God, my kids are nuts. Would you, work? Would you do it? God, I'm sick and tired of waking up every morning with these aches and pains. God, do this, do that. Instead of, oh, Lord of hosts, if you will, remember me, your maidservant, your servant. Would you remember me? 
And then there's a promise. So there is the, the praise to God. There is the petition. And then there's the promise. And, uh, you know, she says, I'll, I'll, I'll give him to the Lord. I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And a razor shall not. He'll be dedicated to the Lord. Now, I don't think this is a, you know, a, uh, you know, we can manipulate God thing into serving our purposes, but, but, but God does respond to right motives, okay? So James 3, 4, 3 says that we have not because we ask not or because we ask with wrong motives. Notice that Hannah's request wasn't just for her comfort, but it was for God's purpose. I'll give him to you. I'll give him to you. It's not just for her, but... For, for God, for His service. Then there's the consequence of prayer. So we have the, the conviction of prayer, then we have the content of the prayer, and then the consequence of the prayer. And it says in verse 19, interesting, the Lord remembered. Lord, will you remember me? Ma, yeah, I remembered. He did. He remembered, which is an affectionate way of acknowledging that He answered her prayer. So that He does care. I think we should read this and say God hears. He does care about us as people. He remembers our prayers. He remembers who we are. It's not support for a name it, claim it thing. It's not like, okay, I'm going to pray, and if I pray, you know, then God's going to give me everything that I want. No, because I know some of you, me, we've prayed, and I think we, as best we could, we prayed sincerely, and God didn't give us the answer, what we wanted. And so why, why is that so? God doesn't remember. Well, sometimes our motive is not right. This is James chapter 4, right? Sometimes I just want it for me, not necessarily for God's glory. Sometimes our request is wrong. 1 John chapter 4, 14 and 15, uh, that if we ask what God wants according to His will. And sometimes the timing is wrong. <laughs> Luke 18, keep praying. <laughs> Keep praying. Sometimes God just say, "Okay, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm not." Look at Hannah. I mean, I don't know how long I mean, she may have been praying this prayer for a long time. I don't know. I can't prove that, but I, I kind of think she probably was. But I can't prove it. So God doesn't always give it to us. So we 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 walk by faith. Courageous faith is we walk faithfully in light of God's providence. We pray earnestly in light of our God's presence with us. And finally, we respond gratefully in light of God's plan. And there's three demonstrations that she gives of, of, of gratefulness. First of all, that we can learn from, we acknowledge God's work. Look at verse 20. Hannah says, And it came about in due time uh, that, uh, that after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel. She named her son Samuel, which literally means asked of the Lord. And she says, because I ask him of the Lord. So she names him because he's been asked of the Lord. And in verses 27 and 28, which I'm not going to read, reread, it basically, there are four times in those two verses that he uses some form of the verb, the Hebrew verb ask. The point is, that she is declaring, I asked, and God gave. I asked, and God gave. Uh, PGA superstar Scotty Scheffler uh, will, is, is known for giving credit to God for his victories. And he gives credit to God even when he's not winning. He is ready to give God the credit. Hannah acknowledged God's work. And it reveals her attitude. When, when she asked from God, she asked for God. She didn't just ask 
from God. She asked for God. There's a little verse in Psalm 37. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Some people think that it's a name it, claim it verse. But if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us, I think means he will place in my heart the desires of my heart that I will ask of him and he will grant the request because it's his desire that's in my heart that comes out in my prayer. And so she is there and what she asked from God, she asked for God. Then we, we act in obedience in verses 24 through 28. She does what she said she would do. The child is young, just weaned, really. And she gave him to the Lord, verse 27, to the Lord in obedience to the promise. Now, granted, Samuel, and we're not going to get into it, but Samuel was destined for a unique role in God's redemptive plan. I mean, he was the, the, the last of the judges. He was the, the first of the prophets, and uh, he was the one who transitioned them into the kingdom ministry. But in a sense, folks, every one of us who are able to have children and when God blesses us with children should be willing to say, Lord, they are yours. They are yours. You know, parents, we kind of want to, mine, mine. We're like, you know, like Smeagol. Mine, mine. No, yours, yours. Yours, God, yours. They're yours. We should look at it that way. And then finally, he says, uh, we, we should, we, or the text I think teaches that we should adore God for who he is and what he's doing. This is verses 1 through 10 in chapter 2. In uh, just a flyby thing, there's, there's three sections here. The first section, verses 1 through 3, is Hannah is praising God for his personal deliverance. How he has delivered her from her enemy. Who's her enemy? Panina, right? She's the thorn in her flesh, and she's the enemy. But God, God has used His holiness, He's used His knowledge, and He's used His justice to support His child. And folks, I think He does that too. He's not just doing, doing it with Hannah. He does it with us. He uses His knowledge of what's going on. He uses His, his justice. He uses His holiness to care for us. When our sickness turns to health, you know, I, I think God, 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 is, God is working, okay? When God turns our rebellious child and they repent, God is working. When his, uh, he's using and we, our addiction is, is overcome, and we're vindicated of false charges, whatever it might be, uh, God is to be praised because God is doing it. That's who his knowledge, his wisdom, his virtue, he's at work. Secondly, we praise God for his his practice of deliverance. That's verses 4 through 8. So what I think what Hannah describes in her prayer in verses 1 through 3 is how God has delivered her. What what she says in verses 4 through 8 is how God works in general, not just in her life, but practically overall. He, He takes What's, he reverses things. Just look at, look at the wording there in verse 4. The bows of the mighty are shattered. It's the antithesis of what you expect. The feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread. They're the beggars. The barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. So it's, 
It's going back and forth. It's this great reversal. The vindication of the righteous and the judgment upon the wicked that Hannah experienced personally pictures what God does in, 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 in general. He works sovereignly to reverse the inequities on behalf of his people. Just That's the way who God is. He takes and does these things. Okay, In verses 9 uh, and 10, we... Uh, we see that fa- the, 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 the practice that he has. In verse 9 it says, And he keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. So he punishes the wicked and he prospers the righteous. That's his general practice, but sometimes it's delayed. <laughs> and sometimes we don't experience it. And the final step we see here is that we praise God for his promised deliverance. Um, so there's the personal deliverance. There's his general practice of deliverance. And then there is his promised deliverance. And don't miss it in verse 10, the end of verse 10, it says, and he will give strength to his king. Who said anything about a king? We're not in the kingdom right now. The king comes in chapter 8. We have prophets now. We have judges and then prophets. We don't have kings. But he says, he will, his king, and will exalt the horn of his Mashiach, anointed one. Well, who's that? You know. He's, he's speaking, she is speaking here, I think, prophetically. The promise of 10b is of a future king that Daniel told us who this king was, the son of man, who would have an eternal kingdom that is prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the the Prince of Peace. And of his kingdom and his reign there shall be no end. And what does Jesus do? In Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 24, he says, I'm the dude. I'm the Son of Man. And we looked at it this morning in the first service. At the end of John, he he says, uh, or not John, John chapter 4, he says to the woman at the well, she says, we know that the Messiah is coming. And he says, I am he. I'm the one. So the deliverance that Hannah experienced from her enemies, the salvation she experienced is actually a microcosm projecting to the ultimate salvation that God, the ultimate deliverance that God gives every person who puts their faith or their trust in this person, Jesus, who died on the cross and rose again to secure our salvation and secure our righteousness, deliverance. It's a picture that points forward. The promise is in the end of verse 10. The promise, the promised deliverance. Has, is true for all of us that will be fully realized and the wicked will be shattered. <laughs> That's uh, not my words. That's what it says in verse 9. But the wicked ones, oh, I'm sorry, will silenced in darkness. Okay, not shattered. Silenced in darkness. Uh, verse 10. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. And so Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He is the rock upon which we stand. Hannah's salvation from barrenness is the ultimate picture of is a picture of the ultimate salvation from our barrenness, the penalty of sin paid for us through the person and the work of Jesus.
Don't be one of those who's rejected and shattered. But put your faith and your trust in Jesus and you will experience this ultimate deliverance. Some of you have read the book. Some of you went to the movie, <clears throat> Unbroken, by Louis Zamperini. It's a Louis Zamperini story. The book wasn't written by him. Um, but in that book, I, I believe, now you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he promised God that if God would deliver him from his, his plight as a, as a prisoner, that he would serve God. And God delivered him. But he didn't go to serving God right away. You know, He kind of had his own story. It wasn't until a few a uh, little while later that he went to a Billy Graham crusade and the Lord kind of, you know, struck him and, and, and got a hold of him. And, and while we don't have the same kind of, and won't, most of us hope, experience the same kind of, of plight that, that he experienced, um, the devastation and the demoralizing impact of a fallen world falls on us. Some of you know what barrenness is. Some of you know what abuse is verbal or physical abuse, injustice. Almost everyone here knows what it's like to lose someone we love. Um, betrayal by those that we trusted. Religious persecution. If you haven't experienced it, you will. We will. And Hannah's example says, keep your eyes on the Lord. Walk by faith in the Lord's providence. Pray earnestly in light of his presence. And we should continue on in our life with our commitment to be grateful to God in light of what he does, in, in light of the fact that it's his plan. It's his plan. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're headed for shattering and destruction. And my call to you is to put your faith in Christ and what he's done on the cross, that you can be freed and delivered. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then Hannah's example is a, a great encouragement to me to keep staying faithful because I have a steadfast God and a sovereign God who will not let me down. And every, every week when we, when we take these elements, we celebrate the victory. We celebrate that ultimate deliverance. As we take the bread and we take the cup, the bread symbolizes his body broken and the cup, his blood shed for us. Contend with the Lord, what happens? You get shattered. Come to the Lord in humble faith, you get saved. Now, not from all hardship. That's why we preach this message, because in the midst of our hardship, he's still there waiting for the ultimate victory. And so if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come and celebrate and take the communion elements with us. Our praise team's going to come, they're going to sing, and they're going to uh, play a song. Search your heart. Get your heart right with God, and then you can either go to the back table or you can go to the front table, and the bread and the juice are there. Take it as you, uh, some people take it back, some people take it while they're there. doesn't matter. But search your heart and get right with God, and then... Take these things as a celebration of the victory that's ours in Christ. I pray, let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of Hannah. I pray that you'd help me, help each of us to embrace uh, the, the, the example that she gave in a God who never fails. It's, it's her example, but it's you, Lord Jesus, who are the one that's the rock upon which we can rest. And I pray that we would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. I worship you. I
ship to 